Today is July 2nd. All future calendar events will be counted from Abby's birthday, which was yesterday. So this is one day post Abby's birthday. July 2nd, 2008. And our message tonight is going to be on the bond servant. Uh, I got it right before we came in here, and I believe it will be a good one. Turn with me to Psalm 34. If I stumble over a scripture or something, you'll forgive me because that's uh, required of you. But I love that you do it because you love me. Amen. Tell me when you're in Psalm 34. Two of you are there. Where are the rest of you? Oh, no. Yeah, Nick, Nick's memorized my code. If he can afford to put diesel in my truck, I told him he can take it. <laughs> there we go. Look, the whole. you know what we're going to do then? We're going to wait a minute because a bunch of the church just ran to go get their Bibles. Isn't that nice? We're, if we were in the compact center right now and a third of the people get up to go run get their Bibles, you know, we'd have to delay the service an hour. But as of now, we're going to delay it all of about 60 seconds. Y'all love Jesus? Yeah. Been a time of restoration here lately. You know what else? A time of conquering the devil's lies. In the last few weeks, a lot of us have gotten kind of confused, looked through the ear hole of our helmet of salvation, said, where is the church and where do I fit in it? You fit right where you are now. And it will become more and more clear to you. And the only reason that the devil has worked so hard to prevent us is because he knows what we have the potential to become. I'm telling you, I know that this is true from experience. And I have a sense in my spirit that there's going to be an explosion in this place. Uh, amen. Wow, they're having to really tear my truck apart to find those Bibles. <laughs> there's feet up in the air and both doors open. And some, it is. It's a big truck. How about that? Anybody got a testimony while we fill time? Come on, Angie. Give us a testimony. You tell us and I'll repeat it a little bit so they hear us online. For those listening online, Angie said that she'd been in Oklahoma serving God at a friend's house for a little while and just missed home. She missed her home church. I can relate to that. I don't have to be gone a few days from your lives and I miss you. Uh, Darren was the first one who was wise enough to point out just how shrewd your pastor is. I went to his house the other night and he fixed me dinner and there were some other people there and I leaned over and I said, you know, Darren, this does not count as shalom bayit. What do you mean? I thought we were kind of doing that now. I said, no, no, no. Shalom Bayid is where I come to your house. We have notebooks out. We take prayer requests for what's going on in your family, give you the ones for the church, and we build peace and unity throughout the church. He goes, you really are smarter than I thought. You figured out how the whole church has to feed you, didn't you? So Darren, not everything that's concealed needs to be revealed. Let them get the message by God's Spirit, okay? All right. Y'all... y'all We'll start again. How about that? Fair enough? Now that everybody got their Bibles, only my wife has left us. <laughs> I'm teasing. My little girl just ran out of a room back there. Holy God, we pray that you would help us here deliver word in a manner worthy of it. You are such a great and awesome king, Lord. We just want to revel in your glory today. You are our king and we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So back to bond service, bond servant, uh, Psalm 34. Y'all there now? Okay, Psalm 34. We want to start off with just a 
general statement about God and how good He is. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's called a tetratarmagron, and this is a substitute for God's name, Yahweh. The reason that that's important here is Yahweh is spoken in the text. It has to do with a special covenant that God made with His people. Yahweh is God's covenant name that He revealed only to Israel as Israel was coming into covenant with Him. I will extol Yahweh at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted here rejoice. Anybody out here ever felt afflicted? Uh huh. Well, God wants something to happen. Those who have been blessed by God to praise God loud enough for those who are being afflicted can hear and have hope. Say amen, saints. That's why we have fellowship. That's why we do what we do. Don't tell me you never sat in this room and thought you were without hope. But when you stand next to somebody who's praising God that truthfully you thought might have been a little worse off than you, all of a sudden you is light into the tunnel. Our God is a delivering God. Glorify Yahweh with me. Let us exalt His name together. David is not just calling on his own spirit to rise up and worship God. He's telling everybody around him, we won't be satisfied, whether you're afflicted or not afflicted, until the whole is praising God. Now David lists his justification here, why he feels the way that he did. I sought Yahweh, and He answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Hear me, saints. Never covered with shame. Hell is a liar. You could not hear it enough. You could not know it enough. The devil wants to cover your life in a cloak of shame. Because when you are ashamed of your life, ashamed of yourself, you don't feel like rejoicing and letting the afflicted hear. You don't feel like you're worthy of giving other people hope. And worse of all, you cannot come confidently into His throne room because shame stands as a veil between you and the King. Well, I'm here to tell you He took all the shame upon Himself. No more shame that needs to be paid for. No more shame that needs to be poured out. If you are in Christ, you are to be free from shame. In fact, not only free from shame, you must have a radiant face. This is why when we pray, I encourage you to do what the Jews were taught to do. We don't look at the ground, grab our hands, clench as if God's about to hit us with a stick and pray we're just old sinners. God has taken away our shame and made us radiant. So I raise my face toward heaven. Some may not think I'm pretty, but God says I'm radiant. And I am not ashamed to show my trust in Him in that way. And you'll find out that your attitude will determine your altitude. If you believe that you're free from shame, if you believe that the God of the universe has made you radiant, then you will act like a radiant child of God. If what you believe is that you are a failure, cloaked in shame who will never succeed, say you will never succeed. Most barriers to your success in the kingdom are man-made. And if you look in a mirror, you will find the man who made them. We need to read this Word and find out what it says about us. Have the guts to step out and believe that what He says is true. And then shout it from a rooftop. You know why? Because faith comes by hearing. 
And I may be having a day where I can't believe that what the Word says about me is true, but I can look at Bob and say it's true in his life. And God is no respecter of persons. And all of the sudden, my attitude is determining my altitude. I don't have to crawl on my belly like a worm. There is no more shame. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Most of the things that we fear are not based in reality. Fear is false evidence that appears real. False evidence appearing real. You say, no, Eric, it's very real. I am facing a debt you would not believe. Yeah, but what the devil told you about that is that there is no solution. That it's going to suffocate you and that you might as well give up now. That is false evidence that appears real. Because there is not a problem that when put in God's perspective is a problem at all. What can He not fix? What have you already been delivered from? Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and Yahweh heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. Tell me the truth. This was a king in Israel. He had everything, but he was smart enough to know he didn't have anything he really needed except God. So his view of himself was that he was a poor man except for the fact that Yahweh God favored him. The time he was a boy, God hand upon him. Some of you may not be alive sitting in these seats today if God's hand was not upon you. And this poor man called to God and he heard him. Saints, it is no small the God of the universe who put our ball of dirt that we call earth in a rotation in the solar system with all the planets, among all the galaxies, among all the universes, and He hears you. We act like, oh, well, I prayed to God and He heard me. What, what did you just say? That's more than having a nuclear fusion reaction and being able to control it. It's the most magnificent thing that could happen on the planet that you call out omnipotent. God of the universe, and He hears you. Would you not say God is good if that happens? Oh, you might. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. He delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Friends, I would argue with anybody who wants to argue about it. Everybody is hiding somewhere. The truth is, most of us are scared to let everybody just see all the nooks and crannies of our life. The way that the world hides is they say, I'm tougher than you. Don't look too close. I got more money than you. You're beneath me and I have more prestige than you. And all of this is a barrier between you and them so that you can't see clearly. I'm no different. I'm a man and I'm hiding, but I've chosen to hide in the King of Kings. And what I'm hiding in Him saying is, anything you see that is wrong with me today, what you need to understand is I am hidden in Christ. And daily I am taking off the old clothes and putting on my new garments. So what you see today will change tomorrow. I'm taking my refuge in Him. i got a hideout, a stronghold. And when I don't know what else to do, I run into it. It can be found in the center of this room. It can be found on my knees beside my car. It can be found anywhere I need my God. All that has to happen is that I'm serious about it. Have you never got to a place where you were just sick of playing games and had very little toleration for people 
who were playing games. I'm there with Jesus. I'm not going to spend time pretending that somebody loves Jesus if they don't. I'm not going to spend time pretending everything when it's not. I'm going to run with all of my might into the fortress that God's provided. And when there's inadequacy in your pastor's life, I don't have any problem acknowledging it. But I'll remind you every time, I am hidden in Christ. What you see here, that's just one appearance. Because baby, I'm going to bury myself so deep in Him that I begin to look like Him, smell like Him, act like Him, dress like Him, and walk like Him. David was experiencing this. And he couldn't help but praise. Fear the Lord, you saints. Fear the Lord, you His saints. He said he was delivered from all of his fears, but one fear remains. There is never a time in your life you should not be concerned about what God thinks about you. Never. But that concern produces in you something. A steadfast love for Him. And when you are steadfast in your love for Him, there is no shame in your life. It does not matter how many times you fell on your face and how bloodied you are. What He sees is Christ because you're hidden in Him. When we run out of our refuge, you have every reason to fear Him. Because God will not be mocked. He won't be. Fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him lack nothing. So is it a bad thing to fear God? No. It provides everything that you need. And you know what you need sometimes? A smack right upside the head that says, please don't make that mistake. It's painful. I was talking to a brother here today. And he was hoping that one of his friends would come that desperately needs a jarring, a reality check. He doesn't understand where his life is headed. And there are men and women in the church today that if they just gave their testimony to this young man, it would be jarring. They would understand where their life was headed. It's an amazing thing, man's ability to justify his own life. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. And how often do we get to the end of that journey before we look and realize we've been destroyed. I don't want it. So this poor man is crying to the Lord. The lions may grow hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see any good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. You ever been bored? couple of you been bored? The rest of you must have amazing lives. You ever bored? Spend some time thinking about the words that came out of your mouth the previous day. I have to be careful. The Word says you're going to give an account for every idle word. I never really knew what that meant, and I have to keep my weed eater started. And when my weed eater's running, that's wide open, right? Certainly not idle. But then it starts before it dies i got a mouth like that. When I'm preaching, it's wide open, and it's usually the anointing. But sometimes when I'm not preaching, and it's just Eric, it's more like those loping kind of words that are just not profitable. You want to be holy? You want to know what it is to fear the Lord? Watch what you say about people and to people. You can be driving down the road and look at somebody on a cell phone like you've never done that before and think, what an idiot. It's our own words that are going to exonerate us or condemn us. And if everybody driving with a cell phone in their hand is an idiot, yeah. Whoever of you loves 
life and desires to see many good days. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The only thing that I want to be in hot pursuit for at this point in my life, there's a time I ran for conflict. And if there was a circle for me in the yard, I was the first one in it because I knew what that meant. There is an age where we are hungry for conflict. You know what your pastor is hungry for? Peace. And I will do anything to pursue it. This means that if I'm in one circle and there is no peace in it, I'm going to go find a new circle. Now, this church is my circle, so I won't leave. So here's how that works. If this is my circle and there is no peace in it, I'm going to do whatever it takes to obtain peace or remove conflict. Whatever it takes. Because the only thing that counts in life is that feeling that everything is right between you and God and you and your fellow man. And make no mistake, saints, Genesis 3 and 4 could not teach us any more clearly. You got a problem with God in Genesis 3? By Genesis 4, it will make you murder your fellow man. So when you see people that hate everyone around them, that are mad at their brothers, the source of that problem is they are not right with God, period, bar none. Stay away from people that run to conflict rather than peace. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord against those who do evil to cut off their memory from the earth. You put the bumper sticker on your car that says God loves everybody if you want. But from a theological standpoint, I'm not sure you're right. There are some things that God hates. Everybody on the planet can step into God's love without question. All they have to do is turn from evil. But I am not certain at this point in my studies that God loves the wicked. In fact, He says there are some things His soul hates. He wants to cut off their memory from the face of the earth. Say, well, God's just against some people. No, they get to choose whether or not they're wicked. I've decided to cross over from the wicked to the righteous, and there is no turning back, just like the Baptist song says. Actually, it's probably Methodist. I'd rather credit it to the Methodist. (laughs) Now, I'm going to get email about that, I'm sure. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. How can the man say that? How can David stand and say, the Lord delivers the righteous from their troubles? Because he started with his testimony. The Lord delivered this poor man from all of his troubles. And friends, there is no more authoritative thing on earth than a man to have an experience. A man who has an experience is not at the mercy of a man who has an argument only. So somebody can stand and tell you your religion is a crutch. They can stand and tell you that you only did the things that you did for some manipulation or whatever else they say. Once you experience God delivering you from troubles then you can stand with authority and say, friend, He can do it for you too. And you know what? You're not talking about something you heard. Because you experienced it. You felt it. I stand here today to tell you He can fill you with power. He can fill you with righteousness. He will break the back of your enemy, whether it is cancer, debt, or your own bad habits. And you know how I know that? He's still breaking me every day. And I'm happy to be broken by Him. Something's wrong when we get used to sitting in these seats. And I didn't put pews in here, stained glass, or a steeple because I'm sick of it at this point in my life. But if we're not careful, we sit day after day hearing, 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 but forgetting what we're doing. 
You are supposed to have the testimony that says, this poor man cried out and God met me where I was so that the others can hear and be encouraged. Sometimes we flock to the healthy because the afflicted are so much work. Look in the mirror. How much work are you? They have to hear. If they don't hear, how will they be saved? You know, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. We serve the kind of God that is looking for those nobody else wants. What's that say about y'all? Hey, how you doing? Saints, our God takes the refuse of the world and makes it something precious. We've got to learn to look at people for what they can be. And that starts with you. So you don't like your own assessment of your life. Well, you joined life-changing ministries. So tomorrow has hope that today did not hold. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems His servants. No one will be condemned to refuge in Him. I don't care who has told you you cannot succeed. I don't care how many times the devil says it is a matter of time and you will fall like every other time before. My Word says you will not be condemned if you make Him. You know what that means? When you want to run away, you run too. When you want to hold back, you plunge in. This means that the church and the church of the living God become your refuge. This is our hope, saints. When's the last time you were a refuge for someone? This is our goal in Christianity. Let me ask you something. Is God good according to this? Oh man, that's like He's good. Yes, God's good. Buddha's good. Is God good according to this? Then we must have an obligation to Him. If God, if somebody has done something awesome for you, if I gave Patricia a Corvette, you think she'd go, mm, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's a response that's needed. Turn with me to Psalm 4. It's fun to get up here without notes. You know what? Because then I don't have to tell you anything. You ever been discouraged when you had to wait? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, brother. I'm not good at it. Uh and best thing to do for me if you want me to be godly is put some brothers around me if we gotta wait. Because left to my own devices I'll busy myself and it could be with God's work or it could be with whatever I could busy myself with. Listen to I waited patiently for the Lord. <laughs> well, how long do you have to wait? I don't know, but it required patience. And he sat on his face and didn't, didn't use any choice lotions. He didn't eat for 21 days. The angel said, I heard you from the moment you began praying, but it took 21 days to get there. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Sometimes we say, well, I called on God and He delivered me. Well, it looks that way 10 years in retrospect, but in the moment, felt like you cried and cried and cried and cried and he never was coming through. Everybody's felt that way. You know why? 
Because this walk requires trust. And if you pushed the button and the order showed up, that would make God your genie and not God. He will require extreme diligence on your part. The Bible calls this a steadfast spirit. This is what David asked for. He fell on his face a few times. Revelation contains the phrase over and over and over. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Why? Why would God do that? Because when you get what you want, when you want it, it means that you have to trust Him. But He will give you what you need when you need it, saints. 100% of the time. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Oh man, in those good words. But I don't want you to forget, it took patience on this man's part. You know what that means? He spent more time in the slimy pit than he wanted to spend. You understand what I'm telling you? The charismatic gospel is wonderful. I love it. I've swam in it for years. But it can be crazy. You hear people preach and they talk and they speak as if the moment they prayed, it appeared. I had never had that experience. If I prayed for more money, I found a fence that needed to be painted. Okay? No less miraculous. But this calls for patient trust on the part of the saints. He says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Adam and I took a canoe trip in the Brazos River and leapt out of a canoe and onto a bank waist deep into the quagmire. It does not take very long before you are worn out and looking for anything to lift you out. You can take a 1,200-pound horse that can run with two men on its back for miles, and he does not make it ten minutes without being so tired he wants to die in a quagmire. I don't know what your quagmire looks like, saints, but I know the man who will lift you out. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Praise will pull you out. You need to begin to praise God in the situation you are in right now for Him delivering you from it. And then you know what will happen? It will become a reality. It may take patience, but it will happen. Many will see and fear and put their trust in Yahweh. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Your way is lined with snares. People spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to attract your attention to billboards, and to commercials, and to radio ads, and television programs. And when those don't succeed, the devil has his pawns. Those who are so weak-willed that when He says move, they move. They're totally subject to the state of disobedience. So that at a moment of weakness, when you should be on your face before the throne, you will find yourself on the phone with somebody suggesting sin. Saints, we have to be aware of the devil's schemes. We have to stand our ground and refuse to look upon the proud and the idolatrous for help. Our source is the King of kings and the men and women He provides in our lives. Period. I got familiar with a word today that I know what it means, but I heard it in context enough to be refreshed. Those hustle. 
And I don't mean hustle like at a football practice. There are people that are constantly trying to manipulate the circumstances in a way that benefits them and hurts you. But that's not the way they present it. They're just like the devil. They're deceived enough to work for the deceiver. So they'll tell you that they are helping you. Saints, you need to be able to look into somebody's eyes with right judgment and know whether they are a brother or not. You need to be able to do this. All Christians are supposed to have discernment because the Holy Spirit is in us. Sometimes your own eyes will deceive you. Samson got his eyes put out and it was the first time he could see clearly in his whole life. And what he remembered is I'm a Philistine killer. Cling to your purpose. God is redeeming you from your troubles for a reason. He has a purpose for your life. And it will save your life to cling to it. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell you of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Well, at first glance, you may recognize that this is a quote that appears in the book of Hebrews. But it says, A body you have prepared for me. Jesus' body was pierced, but that's not what the psalm actually says. It says, My ears you have pierced. I desire to do your will. Turn with me then to Deuteronomy 15. This is on the note of a response to God's goodness. The Bible was not written in America. It is not an Icelandish creation. It was not written in Vietnam or Laos. If it were, I suppose that it would be greatly affected by those cultures that it was written in. It makes a difference whether or not the Bible was written among Vikings or written among Jews. It makes a difference whether or not the Bible took place in one culture versus another because that culture is the original audience. And when you speak to a Jewish crowd and say, you didn't desire from me a payment of debts, sacrifice, and offerings, but what you desired from me was that my ear would be pierced. It means something. Saints, God's goodness requires a response. And I want to tell you about what it means. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 12, If a fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year you must let him go free. No Hebrew could belong to another human being because he already belonged to God. God might loan them to you for a while, but they belonged to God. Each of us might benefit from each other's time. We might benefit from each other's service, but our lives are not our own. Somebody purchased us. The King of Kings purchased us. He ransomed us with His blood. And when you release Him, do not send Him away empty-handed. Supply Him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to Him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you. 
That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you, because he loves you and your family, and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant. The God of gods looks upon us, and He could demand of us, since we are His possession, obedience. But what He wants from us is for us to say, you are a loving and kind God who has given us freedom, and we don't want to leave your house. In fact, even as you were pierced for us, we would like you to pierce our ear at the doorpost of the house where the whole nation can see it. I want to bear a mark that says, at the place where I take my instruction, I'll take my instruction from this Master, the King of the universe. The goodness of God demands a response. This is what the Bible calls a bond servant. Someone who serves you not because they must, but they serve you because they love you. All of us go through a transition in our life. We meet the King of Kings. We say we fall in love with Him, but part of what we're falling in love with is the fact that we are not going to burn. Part of what we fall in love with is the fact that our life is going to look different. Part of what we fall in love with is what He can do for us. Saints, when we transition into maturity, understanding the goodness of God, We don't love Him just because of what He's done for us. We love Him because of what we can do for Him. See, when a poor man cries out to the Lord and is saved from all of his troubles, he's then fit to go among the assembly of the afflicted and say, God will save you as well. And he doesn't do this because it's a debt and he must. He does it because he's enjoyed his time in his master's house and he wants to show his love. For him. Too often Christianity has been reduced to obligation. Do this, don't do this, do that, don't do this. And it can become even a yoke of legalism that no human being was meant to bear. I'm suggesting that the only rule that ought to govern your life is I love the King of Kings too much to do this. Or I love the King of Kings so much I cannot do this because this is what he would do. This is what produces actions like that of the Good Samaritan. When you begin to care more about somebody else than you care about yourself, and it's godly. When you quit asking the questions, what happens to me if I do this? And start asking questions like, what happens to him if I don't? The King of Kings has rescued you from your troubles. And what He wants is for you to rescue Others. Turn with me to Colossians. Tell me when you're there. You'll flip all the way to the New Testament. You'll get to the Pauline epistles and go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Come on, come on. Colossians 1. This is your last scripture tonight. You get a short one and a freebie. Don't count on that on Sunday. I got to find Colossians 1. Okay, I just did. 
<laughs> Once, this is Colossians 1, the 21st verse. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Without blemish, no shame. Free from accusation, no shame. Without blemish, you might even say radiant. If you continue in your faith, something's required of us, saints. You have been credited with right standing before God. You have been empowered to one end, to do God's will. And as long as that is your lifelong aim and ambition, you will never be trapped in darkness. You will never again be alienated and never wear the yoke of the world. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel. This is the Gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a bond servant, is what this says in the Greek. He says it so much, and in our culture we don't use the word bond servant very much, that NIV just translated it servant. But the idea is somebody who serves out of love rather than debt. You know how Paul could say you stand free from accusation, free from blemish? Because he had himself experienced what it was like to be clean. And so God took him an object of mercy, somebody who had soiled his garment many times over, and he redressed him as a mighty apostle of God and said, now go tell everybody what I'm in the business of doing for human beings. And he poured out his life doing it. What do you think we ought to do? Saints, this is an exciting opportunity. You're ambassadors in the King of Kings service. And it's not required that you have a theological degree. It's not required that you be smart, pretty, smell good, good teeth, nice hair like mine. Not required of you that you do anything except truthfully tell your story. And your story truthfully ought to include, I've been delivered and I'm blessed, and I still need to be delivered in this area and this area. Help me and I'll help you. And you know what? Then we can run to the fellowship of the saints and find it a hospital. Find it a place where we get strong. A place where we can practice so that out there we can perform. This is the church you're called to. This is what we are. This is our heart, and it's the heart God gave us. You're all invited to join in this vision. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means you do whatever God puts before you to do and we will help you not get in above your head. If you begin to sink, we will lift out our hands. If you need help, we will help you. You are free to do all that God has called you to do. And you know what? Among us, I bet He's called us to do great things. Twelve people turn this whole world upside down we got a little church, but it's more than 12 people. Surely we can turn the city upside down. Y'all stand to your feet. We'll pray.
I hate to be time-focused, but I also want to understand that there are little kids back there, and I could tell you everything I know in an evening, or I can break it up in parts every week, and I want you to come back, so I'll tell you the rest of what I know on Sunday. As we pray, I want you to remember something this week. Your attitude will determine your altitude. And if you think lowly of yourself, you need to get into this Word and see what it says about you. If you've got a bad attitude, you can hardly do God's work. What we do is we correct ourselves on the inside, and then what is in us flows outward to everyone else, and it is like a healing salve. You were made, you were made for the purpose of doing God's work. You will never be happy focused on yourself. You have to learn to pour yourself out. That's where all contentment comes from. All of it.